Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 50, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, Dark Blue Moon. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. 50 episodes. We have made it to 50 episodes here at Strictly JoJo. That's a big milestone. What an achievement. And this is like actually... 50 episodes of Strictly Jojo, right? Uh, I think technically it's 51 <laughs> because we had that special, special yeah. episode where we talked about the um, the Jojo, Joestar heritage. Joestar the inherited soul event special event. Where they announced, so they did the surprise announcement for Stone Ocean, which was pretty cool to watch at what, three o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning? It was super early for us. Yeah, I think it was around three. Because I remember you were sleeping on the couch, and I was watching uh, the Zack Snyder's Justice League cut <laughs> for four hours. Yeah, <laughs> up until, uh, up that, until that point. So oh, yeah, it was really, God. really early in the morning. But anyways, yeah, I guess yeah, technically this would be episode fifty-one, but we numbers wise, fifty episodes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, a huge milestone. We're very excited about it. Um, we're in the middle of our part three review series. I think that's a great spot to be at when we hit episode 50 and maybe we'll also be back at it when we hit episode 100 because there's going to be a lot of episodes to cover in part three as well as more stone ocean yeah i mean it's it's just amazing that we've made 50 episodes so far of, of jojo i remember thinking back to like when we started like this strictly jojo podcast separate from strictly anime in the back of my head, I was thinking, will we even have enough content to cover in a JoJo podcast? But <laughs> well, we we proved my initial thoughts wrong. <laughs> we have plenty to cover. And maybe by the time we get uh, to the next part, we'll have a confirmation for part seven anime. Fingers crossed. We, we have a lot of JoJo content that hasn't even been adapted to an anime format yet. So lots to look forward to. But uh, one thing that we do want to ask, if anyone is looking to help us out, um, we have 32 reviews, ratings right now on Spotify. And we're still on our journey to get 50 ratings on Spotify. You know, 50 ratings 50 for, 50. for 50 episodes. So if you're listening to the podcast right now on Spotify, on either the iOS or Android app, you can go to the Strictly JoJo page, look for the little star icon underneath our logo, tap that, leave us a rating and submit and it helps us out a ton. Hopefully we get to 50 ratings because that would be awesome. Now on to our JoJo news segment. Uh, we do have a bit of unfortunate news for this episode. Um, since the release of our previous Strictly JoJo episode, we learned of the passing of Billy Kometz, who was the English voice actor for Josuke Higashikata from Part 4. I think he was also known for his role as Naofumi from Shield Hero, uh, Galo from Promare, and also Nicolo from Attack on Titan. Um, most of you know that we do not watch the English dubs of JoJo, nor of many uh, of many anime that we review on strictly anime unless we have a uh, a very strong preference to but you know i i also i gave a couple listens to billy kometz's performance as josuke and i i gotta say he he nailed that kind of high school 
student voice down pat for Josuke. He is really talented, and he's one of those voice actors that I'm not familiar with, but when I listen to their performances, it actually kind of gets me a little curious to to watch the dub um, just to hear more of, of their performance or his performance in particular. I think he's got, from what I heard, I, it felt like he had that type of old school like Stephen Blum type of um, level performance like it felt very authentic it felt um, very polished it didn't feel forced like it just reminded me of the stuff that we got back in the day like the Inuyasha dub the Trigon dub the Bebop dub Um, so I don't know if maybe he you know, took a lot of that as inspiration or kind of how he developed his skills. But I, it sounded like he had a lot of talent and I can understand why the community is so heartbroken at his passing. And I think what's even more tragic is that he, he started his voice acting career in 2018. So he was not, not like an up and comer, but it, it seemed like he was going to be a shining star in the VA industry um, another thing is that, um, unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 35 of stage four colon cancer. And this was only weeks after he revealed his diagnosis to the public, which was, I think, just back in April. Um, so it's just one of those people that was just taken away far too soon. Um, and I'm, I'm sure he will be sorely missed in both the JoJo community and the anime community as a whole. We do also have a bit of non-JoJo news, um, but wanted to share that we will be attending Crunchyroll Expo in August in San Jose, and it's our first time attending. Yeah. I don't know if there will be much JoJo stuff going on there. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because currently, like, with Part 6 being under Netflix's wing, I'm sure they can't really, (laughs) Crunchyroll can't really say anything um, in that regard. But I think regardless, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, It should be a very fun time. It'll be our first time at Crunchyroll Expo and also in San Jose, which is hosting the convention. So a lot of firsts for us. Uh, I'm particularly excited because they will be having a, a music festival at the expo, which will be like their first time. Um, having it alongside the convention. And one of my favorite Japanese music groups will be performing there at Tarashigako. Um, so again, nothing really related to JoJo unless, you know, at this music festival, they announce um, who did the who did the part five OP? Coda? Coda, yeah. <laughs> if, if Coda, if they announce Coda, then that'll just heighten my excitement because... He, or he did part two and part five. Yes. Right? And he was part of the part three second OP. Yeah, I think which they called like the Joe Stars or something. Which is like the first three <laughs> singers of the first three parts yeah. came together for that, that particular song. And wasn't he also, didn't they bring him back for the part four third opening where they had like a bunch of people? Yeah. It was, uh, I think at the end of part four, they sang the OP the final OP for part four all together. That was cool. Yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they'll we'll have some some JoJo news and updates from Crunchyroll Expo. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I mean, they do have parts one through five on Crunchyroll right now. So, 
they may not have anything for part six, but they do technically have JoJo under their wing. So I hope that there's something JoJo related there. But either way, I'm really excited to attend. Um, we're not hosting a panel or anything this time. We're just going as regular plebs, as uh, normal weeb attendees. But we do plan to share some updates, maybe some pictures on our Discord. So if you're not a member of our Discord, check the link in the description to join. Speaking of Discord, this brings us back to JoJo News. Uh, we did start up a new channel in our Discord dedicated solely to music. And our patron and fellow JoJo fan, Jesse James, shared a quite interesting YouTube video and, and Spotify link to um, a, a song by Nico Belisario. He's like a, a music artist, I think, on YouTube and just content creator in general, uh, they put together a, an OP, like a fan-made OP for Steel Ball Run that is entitled Holy Steel. <laughs> and I think they they had a, a Japanese singer, Shihori, who performed this OP while they did the music background. And I got to say, it sounds like a legitimate JoJo opening. Like, obviously, it's fan-made because uh, Steel Ball Run Part 7 hasn't been adapted yet for anime because we're still getting through Part 6. But, you know, what, when Jesse James shared this in our new music channel, I gave it a listen. And, yeah, it felt like I was watching JoJo and listening to a JoJo opening. You can tell the fans that create that stuff really have an appreciation for the music and the the, the flavor that JoJo's Bizarre Adventure has. Because didn't you find one? I don't know if it was an OP or if it was the Stone Ocean theme song, but it was a fan-made one before Stone Ocean was confirmed that I thought was pretty well done. Yes, uh, on Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> um, on Spotify, I found these fan-created like Jojo themes uh, for Stone Ocean. Uh, it's called Stone Free by the artist uh, User Destroyer. And they did another one called Soft and Wet, which is for part eight. Because I believe that's um, Josuke, uh, part eight Josuke or, or Gappy's stand, right? Soft and Wet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it seems like there are a lot of like JoJo fans who are also musicians out there who are taking it upon themselves to create these these JoJo pieces of music, and they fit very well within that realm. Uh, so shout out again, and thank you to Jesse James for sharing this piece of music. We'll definitely share it again in our Discord for anyone who wants to give it a listen or to give the OP of you just... Light spoilers um, for for part seven. If you watch the OP on YouTube, I didn't catch any because I don't know what what happens like, in part I don't seven. Know what the fuck, I'm watching. <laughs> I know there's horses. That's that's about it. But it does evoke that like David production, uh, JoJo OP kind of feel. And speaking of Discord, I want to give a shout out to Cream Puff Shun who sent us or not sent us, but I guess alerted us to two more sentient stands that we did not think of as we have been mulling over what other sentient stands there Maybe are besides sex we're pistols. We're not sentient. Yeah, we're That's not sentient. <laughs> we can't pick these up. <laughs> but um, they alerted us to Cheap Trick, 
and Anubis. So Cheap Trick comes from part four, and it's the stand that attaches itself to Rohan's back and essentially tries to get Rohan to kill himself by get by accidentally showing his back to somebody else so that Cheap Trick can, I guess, murder him in some way. I know why I like I can easily remember this stand now because our group of friends, Confam, like some of us, like if, if we're in a swimming pool, we'll latch onto someone person. else's back yeah. and then we'll just start laughing <laughs> just like cheap trick <laughs> shout out to you kevin i think you started that <laughs> but this makes total sense because cheap trick actually talks to whatever user it attaches itself to because it doesn't have a defined user i think whoever it targets then becomes the user temporarily until they die and similarly anubis from part three is that sword that like evil sword stand. And while it's not confirmed if Anubis actually talks to the temporary user that it sort of like possesses, it does still have its own quote unquote inner monologue Mm -hmm. um, when it thinks to itself about the situations that it's in. So those two, I think I'd easily classify as sentient stands. So now we're up to five sentient stands. We've got sex pistols, cheap trick, Anubis, Spice Girl and fuck. What did we talk about last time? Echo Zack Three. Yes. Kill the whole beach. <laughs> How could I forget that one again? But yeah, thank you for uh, alerting us to those. And if anyone else can think of any other sentient stands from the JoJo anime, let us know because we're we're trying to find them all. We gotta catch them all. Or you know, if you don't let us know, maybe we'll just come across them during our rewatch. But yeah, thank you, Cream Puff Shen, for alerting us to those. If anyone else thinks of any other sentient stands besides those five that are in the anime, let us know. Otherwise, we'll probably come across them during our rewatch. And now on to the episode, part three, episode six, Dark Blue Moon. First thing I want to ask is, did this episode trigger your thalassophobia? Yup, I put that down <laughs> in my notes. I, I was watching Anne swim around, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to vomit right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the shark thing was was, was kind of scary, uh, but I think overall with this episode, it was, I think this is where like the standard proper enemy stand of the week kind of formula starts. Like, because we've had all of the Crusaders introduced, and so now it's just straight up enemies until we get to Iggy. Although I thought initially that Anne... Uh, was supposed to be like an, an additional member of the Crusaders, but like we'll, we'll find out soon enough in a couple episodes that she goes off on her own way. Um, so yeah, it, it this episode is just I think strictly ooh strictly 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 just Anne's introduction for whatever reason, and then the whole thing with the captain. It's like all one scene basically. I love this episode because of how stupid it is. There's just so much funny activity going on all at once in this episode. And of course, we'll break it down when we talk about everything that happens in this episode chronologically. But there's just like a lot of dumb stuff or like witty humor that comes up that I I just really appreciate and sticks with me. And I do like Anne's character. So I enjoy it. While I don't think this is one of the strongest episodes, nor do I think this is one of the most interesting enemy stand users, I do still really enjoy this episode every time I get to watch it. Yeah, speaking of interesting stand users, you know, I, after watching like the constant grandstanding 
in the previous episode with Silver Chariot. I think it was hard to follow up Polnareff's introduction with basically part three's version of Barnacle Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I didn't find the captain like particularly interesting, but I, I suppose we'll We'll get into that in our discussion, so it's anchors away, dear listeners, as we set sail into our synopsis and discussion for part three, episode six, Dark Blue Moon. The boys set sail for Singapore to slide away from suspicious stands in the sky and discover a young female stowaway aboard their boat. The stowaway decides to go away by jumping ship until Jotaro shows a rare ounce of care in rescuing her from one of Jaws' cousins until they discover an even bigger aquatic threat in the form of an enemy stand lurking in the murky waters. The Crusaders call an emergency meeting, where they conclude that the go-away stowaway is pretty sus, but Jotaro uses the magic of nicotine to out the true enemy stand user, the ship's Captain Crunch. Revealing his stand's identity as Dark Blue Moon, Captain Crunch uses the go-away stowaway as bait to lure Jotaro into fighting him under the sea. Jotaro thinks this is a bunch of barnacles, which are exactly the things that draw him into the depths of Bikini Bottom, where Captain Crunch starts up his whirlpool of wonder. Looks like Jotaro was tall enough for this amusement ride, though, as he musters enough strength to have Star Platinum finger his amphibious foe. Yes, you heard that right. With the Captain Crunchatized, the enemy stand user sets off contingency bombs planted on the boat, causing everyone to abandon ship and escape on emergency lifeboats. They are thankfully spotted in the nick of time by the discount Titanic. But just like with the real Titanic, I have a sinking feeling that this won't end well. And now onto our next segment of the show is that a music and or tarot reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So first and foremost, we have the tarot reference with the stand Dark Blue Moon. This is in reference to the moon, which is the 18th card in the tarot deck. The moon is a card of illusion and deception and therefore often suggests a time when something is not as it appears to be. Perhaps a misunderstanding on your part or a truth you cannot admit to yourself. Um, Additional associations with the moon include hidden enemies, danger, calumny, darkness, terror, deception, occult forces, error, and fear of the unknown, which is mentioned by the narrator in this episode. So uh, with all of these associations, it's especially with like hidden enemies, it's related to how the captain himself hid his true identity from the Stardust Crusaders until he was stupid enough to out himself. Until he touched his nose. Yes. (laughs) And speaking of the captain, there are a couple music references with his name. And this actually applies to both the localized name as well as the original name of the character. So to start with the original name of the character, which is Captain Tanil, That is a reference to Captain and Tenel, which is an American husband and wife musical duo who garnered success in the 1970s uh their singles might not be familiar to some but one that i think you might be familiar with courtney is they did a cover of love will keep us together 
it goes like, love will keep us together. Oh, okay. I was going to say, yeah. you know me with titles. <laughs> I need to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that, that does jog my, my memory. Yeah. Um, and with the localized name, which in the subtitles says Captain Dragon, this is actually an homage to Daryl Dragon, who is the eponymous captain of the Captain and Tenil duo. So they couldn't use the Captain Neil, whatever the original name was, but they could use Captain Dragon? Yeah, Captain... So in the original Japanese dub, the character's name is Captain Tenil. Or Tenil, I don't know how to pronounce it. But I think it's just it's, that sounds too similar to Captain and Tenil that they just decided to go with the male lead singer's last name. Hmm. Well, at least there's still that tie-in to the original band or the, the namesake. And last reference, well, this actually, for this character, there's no musical or tarot basis in their name, but I wanted to briefly talk about Anne. So originally in the manga, she was unnamed, and I think they only referred to her as Runaway Girl. But it was Araki himself who gave her the name Anne for David Production to use in the anime adaptation. Uh, I have a note here that David Production producer Hisataka Kasama asked Araki if he could name the runaway girl because he thought it was odd that she didn't have a name despite hanging out with the Joestar group for a while. Araki named her Merlai Anne as a pun of Singapore's official mascot, the Merlion. However, only Anne was used officially in the anime and related media. Interesting. I didn't know that. She also has a very drastic change to her, well, not drastic, but a pretty notable change to her character design. I think in the manga, she's blonde. Is that right? Um, I think I was looking at pictures and she's actually brunette. Oh. You're right. Her hair's just like lighter. I'm thinking of, uh, I think, Jolene's mom. Her hair's lighter. I think they made her complexion a little bit darker as well as her hair in the anime. And I actually prefer her anime uh, character design over her manga character design. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. I have one and it's not a super popular or well-known meme, but it's when Jotaro like takes out the dark blue moon stand user and then says Avdol say something and gives a thumbs down there's a couple different things that I've seen where he says Avdol say something and then Avdol says something wacky but I sent one in particular to you which I thought was appropriate it's Jotaro saying Avdol say something and then Avdol <laughs> says use this dagger to kill yourself because I know how much you love that line <laughs> that's clever I think what's interesting is that um, he says the same thing to Josuke in part four I think when they take out uh, I can't remember the stand user's name, but like the old dude in Yoshikage Kira's house, they do something to him, I thought. And then Jotaro points to Josuke and says, Josuke, say something to him. I've got screenshots that um, I can share in the Discord so that you guys can see the comparison. Yeah, you're asking the wrong person because part four was just a blur to me. <laughs> and as always, if we missed any memes from this episode, reach out and let us know.
So before we start to break down the episode, I want to revisit something that I shared, I think, towards the start of our part three review series, because now it's coming into play. And that's Anne and her relationship with Jotaro. Like I've mentioned before, she's a great example of how Jotaro responds well to strength. As you see in this episode, he realizes that Anne is pretty tough and can stick up for herself. So he helps her and looks out for her and isn't really a straight up jerk to her. But later in the show, when she's reintroduced, she starts to develop a crush on Jotaro and acts more dependent and clingy. And that's when you see Jotaro shift from being a little more kind and impatient with her to being a jerk and kind of pushing her away because she no longer seems strong. So I, I really like watching as, as little time as we get with Anne. I do like watching her relationship develop with Jotaro and seeing how he responds to her being a pretty tough character. So what triggered Jotaro to rescue Anne as she was out there and she was about to be eaten by the shark? That's a great question because right before that he says let let the time they thought it was a boy let him you know deal with it himself because clearly you know he he thinks he can swim and make it to shore. Basically, Jotaro was not concerned. But then in the 11th hour, he jumps in and, and saves her. I think it's twofold. Um, I think it's probably out of respect for Anne because she has displayed a certain level of strength. But I think largely it's because he's a Joestar. And I don't think mm. he would ever let somebody get hurt or um, allow them to be put in harm's way. Yeah, I, that second part makes sense because it's just within a the Joe Star's nature to to help people. And thinking about your discussion with Jotaro, re, uh, recognizing strength in other people. My discussion with Jotaro. Yes. I talked to him personally. <laughs> <laughs> um, if only. <laughs> you know, like before, before she jumps ship, uh, Anne talks about how she wants to see her dad in Singapore and that's why she stow, stowed away on the ship. And I think, the fact that Jotaro sees her abandoning ship to just try to swim to Singapore herself, he sees that as as a sign of her courage and her tenacity to see through with her objective. And to be with her family member, to be with her parents, because Jotaro's whole journey is to save his mom. Right. We do find out later that I don't think it's necessarily true that she wanted to go see her dad in Singapore, which at the end of the episode when she's in the life raft and talking to Joseph, Joseph tells her, hey, we're also on a journey to save my daughter Holly so we can relate to you wanting to reunite with your dad in Singapore. And she kind of like looks away and doesn't really say anything to him and almost has this look of kind of like being ashamed. And I think that's a sign, an early sign that maybe she's not being totally truthful about why she's a stowaway. Yeah, that, that kind of brings up my next point with Anne is what is her point like in this story? <laughs> I think she's just another character that the, the Joe bros come across and they spend a little bit of time with her and she's just part of the journey that they go on. Okay. They meet a lot of interesting people. I mean, I can't wait till they fucking meet up with Whole Horse because Whole Horse becomes this interesting character where he it, he always remains a foe, but there are times where he could almost be part of the Joe bros, which I think when we get there, we'll talk about it more, but I think that was an initial thought of Iraqis was to actually have whole horse join the Joe bros didn't end up happening, but that's why he kind of blends so well with them. Um, and there's other characters too, that I think are that, that go one step beyond just a basic enemy stand user. There's something more there 
that is part of their journey. Yeah, I was I was going to say the same thing with Anne. I had read somewhere that I think Araki, when he introduced her at this point, um, he was going to have her be a part of the Stardust Crusaders. But I think he ended up not going through with that because he didn't feel like a young girl should face the same threats as like what these Stardust Crusader, like these these older characters are facing along their journey to Egypt. All while not being a stand user. I could yeah, see Volhorse joining because he's a stand user. He can see other stands. But she's like probably really confused in this episode she's watching a shard get beat up in midair and is thinking what the fuck is happening so and i think she talks about it a little bit more in the next episode like why she thinks or how she thinks these guys are fucking weird because she can't see what they're seeing so i imagine mm -hmm. it would be difficult i mean even iggy is a stand user he joins late in the game but at least he can see what's going on yeah and i think that also makes me think that Anne kind of serves as a plot point in this episode with her inability to see stands because as we find out when Jotaro's trying, like he, tr he outs the captain, um, we see her reaction to the way that Jotaro kind of tricks everybody. And that kind of gives context to us finding out that it is the captain who's the stand user. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to mention with Anne. Did you think she has a bit of a resemblance to Poco from part one? Oh, kind of. Yeah, I could see that. I'm going to look up a picture of Poco. Yeah, I was looking up a comparison for both of them earlier. Actually, I, I think I saw one where it was just so showing like all of these kids <laughs> that end up in these Joe Stars lives uh, in these first three parts, which is Poco, Smokey, in part two and then and now in part three or i think the meme was like these kids who just randomly cross paths with a jojo and get sucked into the chaos yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah they do kind of look like each other like there, there's some resemblance there oh helping we helping the joe stars without powers gang okay oh uh, yeah me, that was another <laughs> let me download this uh i think it's on reddit or somewhere i don't know i'm finding it on google i'll share this on discord as well so yeah i, I guess it's it's part of that, like, the JoJo trope, right, where it's a child who uh, the, the JoJo protagonist just happens to come across in their adventure. Uh, and Wait, uh, would you call Koichi the, the child <laughs> in or, part four? Uh, I was going to say Hayato, right? Uh, oh, Kira's, yeah, you're right. Kira's young, or not his, like, biological child, but the, the child that he ends up, like, does Hayato have a power? He doesn't, right? I don't think, or I don't remember, but he just helps everyone figure out that his quote-unquote father is Kira. Wait, is Hayato a stand user? Can he see what the fuck's going on all throughout part four? Or is he just like, is he just aware that time keeps repeating itself, but he can't see any of the stands? Again, you are asking the wrong person, but I'm looking at the JoJo wiki. I don't think he has a stand. Oh, my God. Then I just realized that he can't see what the fuck is going on the whole time. You know what? I'm taking note of this for when we get to part four in the future. I've got this whole running list of things from other parts that we haven't talked about yet. And I'm going to write here, Hayato, can he see any stands 
without being a stand user. There you go. We'll revisit that down the road. Last thing I want to mention with Anne before we move on uh, is the, the VA, the, the Seiyu, is Rei Kugimiya, which I know resonates with you because she voiced Taiga from Toradora. Yup. And she resonates with me in particular because she voiced Kotaro from Kotaro Lives Alone, which and, we recently watched. And we can't forget Kagura from Gintama. That's a huge role for oh, her. Oh, she did her too? Yes. I didn't know that. Well, I just, I can't unhear Kotaro now every time I listen to Anne speak. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So diving into the episode from the start, we have the Joe Bros on a ship on their way to Singapore. And Joseph tells Jotaro and Kakyoin that they need to take their student uniforms off because it's really fucking hot. But then Kakyoin says, nah, we're okay. We're disciplined students. We don't need to worry about it. I don't know why I find this funny. I just kind of do. I think it's partly because Joseph lives in America and he's probably thinking it's hottest balls out here. But then you have these disciplined students who... I don't know. They want to stay in their uniforms and, and boil to death. I think Joseph brings up a very valid point, but yeah, I guess Kakyoin and Jotaro are fine the way they are. I think it's just that like Japanese high school culture that's probably uh, instilled in them. But I would figure like at least Jotaro would have removed his his outer uniform. But I figure they're in summer uniforms so the material is probably breathable in the summer it sounds like they're walking around in leather remember we talked about this i think <laughs> yeah, in the episode true. where kakyoin got introduced the i don't know if maybe they tweaked or turned up the volume on the foley artists for when they were doing the noises for kakyoin and jotaro's suits but it literally sounds like they're walking around in leather I, now I'm going to pay attention, I, like in the next episode or something, if they still use that same sound effect. But I also like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pick that up too. Like, why would you want to walk around in leather <laughs> on the way to like a country along the equator? But um, I love how Avdol thinks like it's it's them embracing the Bushido. Which oh, I think yeah. Is like, like the, the samurai code. Um, Again, showing just how how mature these two high school students are um, as they are going along this journey to save Jotaro's mother. And then we get Anne introduced. They assume she's a stowaway. Um, as we mentioned earlier, she jumps ship and starts to swim toward the shore. Mike the Lassophobia triggers when that shark comes up to her. And then Jotaro acts like he doesn't give a shit, but then at the last minute jumps in and saves her. And we see her POV where the shark is getting punched in midair by presumably Star Platinum, but she can't see anything. So she just sees a star, a, a star. She just sees a shark getting punched in the air, similar to Patrick from that fucking SpongeBob episode. That's why I said star, because <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of Patrick. Um, that That's what I imagine it's like, like when... He was with SpongeBob, right? When SpongeBob was standing there watching Patrick get yeah, the shit beat out he of him. Was, SpongeBob needed his help going, getting into the salty spittoon. Mm -hmm. And so Patrick started pretending he was getting beat up by nobody. But then they thought it was SpongeBob beating him up. <laughs> SpongeBob's a confirmed stand user. We just can't see it because we're not stand users either. <laughs> and then after Jotaro beats the shit out of that shark, he grabs and like 
uh, overalls to drag her through the water, but in doing so, he realizes that there's something under there. Uh-oh. And I just... FBI. I fucking love <laughs> that he just straight up takes his whole fucking open palm and smacks it against her chest and starts rubbing it back and forth to try and see if <laughs> there are tits under there. <laughs> and he's so nonchalant about it because it's Jotaro. He doesn't give a shit about that stuff. He just wants to confirm whether she's a boy or a girl, so he just needed to push his hand against her chest and she's acting all flustered understandably so but he's just like okay we're just gonna swim back to the boat that's just classic Jotaro and like just looking at it kind of surface level this is one of those moments this and like the moment earlier where they're talking about their student uniforms like all these little things keep happening in this episode that just make me laugh to myself and I'm just thinking, like, yeah, you've got this stand fight, this, this enemy stand user fight. You've got all this, like, drama happening. But really what I'm living for in this episode are all these small moments that are just so dumb that they're funny. Yeah, I think it, it's it's the bizarre aspect of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure that they're really shining upon in this episode. I think another thing that I noted is that he does his yare yare pose in the water. And there are a couple other weird things that Jotaro does in the water in this episode. I he pointed like one out to swim. you. He doesn't swim. Yeah. <laughs> you said like he walks and I looked and I'm like, yeah, he does kind of like walk yeah, through the, the water. The end of the fight against um, Captain Tenniel or Captain Dragon. He Captain gets back Crunch. to the <laughs> Captain Crunch. He he doesn't swim back to the boat. It looks like he just walks. Because his shoulders yeah. are moving back and forth. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And there are other moments, too. And um, we'll probably talk about it. Um, it's it's one moment um, when he rebuts during the Captain Crunch fight. They get Anne back to the boat. And, of course, understandably so. They think she might be the enemy stand user. Because apparently Joseph had all of the 10 crew members checked, um, background checked, whatever, to make sure that they were legitimate. And then... When they're suspecting her to be the enemy stand user, they do something that I find a bit odd. And that's speak telepathically to each other because mm-hmm. Polnareff says something first, something like, I, I don't know, something questioning her. And then Kakioin responds directly to that. And his eyes shift a little bit to the left to look toward like Polnareff's direction. And then I think Joseph maybe chimes in at some point. And I'm like, clearly they're speaking to each other telepathically, probably through their stands. And I know that later in the episode, the Captain Crunch stand user says, oh, we can talk to each other via our stands. But I feel like they, like Araki did not monopolize (laughs) or capitalize on this enough. Like that's a really useful power. And I feel like we don't see that very often at all in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, it feels like it was added here just to give context to that underwater scene between the captain and Jotaro. I'm pretty sure they do use their stance to talk to each other telepathically again at some point in part three. I can't remember when it is, but I feel in my gut that there's another time that they do use it. So it's not like we'll never see it again, most likely, but I can't think of a single time in part four, five, and so far in part six where we've seen that. But again, it's a lot of content to kind of comb through mentally, so maybe we'll come across this power again. I think the more outrageous thing is that they believe that Anne is the stand user or they're coming to that conclusion when you see this macho muscular buff captain also on deck who look like he has the exact same build as these crusaders 
and they don't bat an eye at him. I know they established, or like Joseph said, they vetted all of the, the men on board to make sure that they were all legitimate. But then the captain later says that the original captain was thrown overboard. So wouldn't the other men on the ship know that he isn't the real captain? Unless they're like a last minute crew they put together. Maybe mm-hmm. they just like pulled a bunch of dudes together and said, "Hey, we're gonna sail this thing and sing- sail this thing to Singapore." <laughs> <laughs> sail this thing to Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right; they're all like, "Okay, maybe this little girl isn't the enemy stand user." And then the captain fucking rolls up and looks sus as fuck. Like, gee, I wonder who the enemy stand user is. He's not the most insane looking enemy stand user. He's actually decently plain, but mm-hmm. he looks. Very suspicious. There's no doubt about that. Again, he looks like he's 250 pounds (laughs) compared to, I know like the other sailors, they also are very muscular, but he is just a beefy guy. And this is just reinforcing the the enemy stand user could be anyone. (laughs) The enemy stand user looking really obvious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, the captain does get introduced at that point and he takes Anne in as a stowaway or wants to anyway. And then he goes up to Jotaro, and we have the cigarette scene. That fucking cigarette scene. Again, another great moment in this episode that makes me laugh. And it's just really dumb, but really great to watch. The captain takes the cigarette out of Jotaro's mouth, all dramatic and fuck because it's Jotaro's Bizarre Adventure, lectures him, and then puts the cigarette out on his iconic hat. And then to add, like, or as a cherry on top, rather, he then takes a cigarette butt and puts it into Jotaro's pocket. And then Jotaro's like, okay, dude, you could have just put that out. You don't, you didn't have to be a condescending prick about it. And I'm like, well, Jotaro, you're kind of one to talk. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to be an asshole to other people, especially Joseph, but you kind of are often. <laughs> also, is this the first time that we see Jotaro smoking a cigarette? I, uh, I think so. I think so. Yes. Yeah, the only other part I remember in part three is the the poker game where he pulls out a cigarette he also well i guess not him technically but oingo boingo when oingo becomes totoro and does that cigarette (laughs) trick i think technically (laughs) yeah but i'm pretty sure this is this might be the first time in part three where we see jotaro smoking high school delinquents am i right (laughs) we also get one of the last moments where the group calls him jojo and that happens throughout this episode they actually switch back and forth between calling him jotaro and calling him jojo so Soak it in, people. I think it's either this episode or the next episode when it really starts to fade out and they only call him Jotaro moving forward. But, yeah, just soak in all the JoJo's you get in this episode because it really, truly is going to be one of the last times that we get a consistent JoJo in the series besides when they introduce the new JoJo of that part and mention how their name is tied in with the JoJo nickname. So then Jotaro goes into his whole, I don't know what you call it, his method of, of weeding out the enemy stand user where he says if a his stand brain user. brain teaser, basically. Yeah, he says a stand user, when they inhale even a little bit of cigarette smoke, um, they have a vein that pops out on their nose. When he says that, we get everyone's faces flashed across the scene, inc- the, the scene 
across the screen, including Anne's, which is intentional because she's the only non-stand user. Right. And therefore, she's the only one who reacts in a very confused way. This then weeds out the captain because by instinct, because he is a stand user, he reaches for his nose to see if a vein is popping out. And then Jotaro's bluff works because he bluffed about even knowing that the captain was the enemy stand user in the first place. Because Simon didn't say, touch your nose. Uh, It's also weird that he, as soon as he's found out, he gets that Ahegal face. You know, his eyes roll in the back of his head for some reason. Like they, they're really trying to to uh, phone it in and and just make him seem as malicious as possible. When really, this guy's kind of a mild stand user. I think of all the stand users we get in part three, this guy's probably towards the bottom in terms of his tier yeah and that's what i mentioned earlier like you had polnareff and how confident he was with his stand silver chariot in the previous episode and that was pretty understandable because he did kind of hold his own against avdol up until avdol showed his potential and then here i feel like with dark blue moon like he was just grandstanding a bit too much for like how weak his stand really is. Dark and... Blue Moon doesn't even fight Jotaro. He he just kind of like puts him in weird situations. So Dark Blue Moon, first of all, gets his ass kicked by Jotaro twice. Not once, but twice mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, when I think he first pulls Anne into the water, uh, Jotaro leaps Star Platinum forward before they can even hit the water as they're free-falling. Jotaro, or Do- Jotaro, Star Platinum beats the shit out of Dark Blue Moon, and then they float away. So that's the first time. Second time is when he one-hit KOs Dark Blue Moon just by using Starfinger. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh... <laughs> It's kind of like you have the like an opponent who's gloating in the boxing ring and then the bell rings and it's the first round and you just knock them out. Like at least in the previous episode on the airplane, what the fuck was that stand user's name? The beetle that was flying around? Tower of Grey? Yeah, Tower of Grey. At least Tower of Grey put up a decent fight um, and kind of used the environment to his advantage or its advantage because they couldn't use like avdol stand for example because they were in a compressed cabin here i just feel like dark blue moon had all of the cards you know in their favor or in their hand and just wasted the opportunity because they were too busy gloating and trying to get under jotaro's skin yeah i I will say at least they set a precedent for all the aquatic based stands that we see later on um in more recent memory, of course, with part six, you had Foo Fighters. Uh, I think later in part three, we have Geb, who's the the dual stand, the blind, the blind. Oh, guy the stand. water hand. Yeah, and then we have Aqua Necklace, which is Angelo's stand in part four, and then I have two other aquatic based stands from part seven and eight, Catch the Rainbow and Soft and Wet but I don't know much about those. so I have no idea yeah. what those but are. But I guess <laughs> Dark Blue Moon kind of sets the bar very low for the rest of these aquatic stands. And he kind of has like a, a wonky face because the re- like his body is like this intimidating sea creature body, right? With like the fins and it's muscular. But then it has like this goofy face with multiple eyes. 
Yeah, I don't know what's up with that design. I it's very <laughs> very odd. <laughs> I guess there like there are a lot of strange looking fish from like the deep blue sea, but yeah, to make another SpongeBob reference, uh, the Fry Cook Games episode when P- Plankton introduces Patrick, but it's or Patrick is brought in on the back of this huge like huge muscular dude, but the the muscular dude also just has a really like wonky face. <laughs> well, let's jump back to the first time that Dark Blue Moon goes up against Star Platinum. So as we mentioned, you know, Star Platinum flings forward and knocks the shit out of Dark Blue Moon. And that's where we get the meme from this episode where Dothro says, Avdol, say something, and then gives a thumbs down. So Avdol here, and I think you you call this out to me, Avdol here repeats what he said to Polnareff in the previous episode. Is that right? Yeah, something about... I. I may be a fortune teller, but you were 10 years too late or something. Yeah. And it's funny because Polnareff actually chimes in at the end and completes the sentence because he got dished that uh, that comeback. What would you call it? That quip in the last episode when he got his ass beat by Abdul. Yeah. Or what What do you do like in those wild and out? Uh, remember that show with Nick Cannon? Yeah. <laughs> All the disses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or it was like 10 years soon. 10 years too soon to defeat me, a fortune teller with predictions. I don't remember the exact line, but yeah, it's just funny that like Polnareff chimes in. It's kind of like, I understood that reference. And he smiles too. <laughs> Polnareff kind of laughs to himself when he completes the, the sentence. And this is, again, just one of those great moments in this episode. And I particularly like this one because it's... It's showing us that the Joe bros, even though they've only known each other a short time, have already really become bros. The fact that Jotaro even says something like that to Avdol, it, it's just a very interesting dynamic that's forming here. It's kind of like in the previous episode when Polnareff gets knocked out and then they take the flush blood out of his face and then Joseph is like making some pun or whatever. Jotaro says to Kakyo, and he's like, Kakyo, don't don't guys like him annoy you? It's just so funny watching Jotaro have essentially friendships with other characters because mm-hmm. he's such a sundere. Yeah, it's nice that we're catching these moments because I get like we know by the end of it, like these crusaders, they've gotten closer in their journey. And it's not just because they've been facing all of these different enemy stand users every week or or I guess every day in in their timeline. But it's it's these small moments that kind of count too, um, just to show that kind of human side to these larger-than-life characters. And before before we move on to the the second half of the, the fight against Captain Crunch, um, I wanted to talk about the stand stats. We do get two in this episode, which is interesting because the second one just comes out of nowhere towards the end of the episode. But the first is with Star Platinum, and there's really no surprise with these stats. Destructive power A, speed A, range C, durability A, precision and accuracy A, development potential A. So Star Platinum is obviously OP as fuck, except when it comes to range. Which is like a C, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, which so is still funny. not still not terrible, but it's yeah everything else as an A. <laughs> no wonder it 
Jotaro thinks it's the same or the world is the same type of stand as Star Platinum. <laughs> and then is this wait? Is that the first time we're seeing a a stand or an eye catch for Star Platinum? Yes. Okay, interesting. It's weird that it's this many episodes in before he gets his own eye catch. Yeah, I don't think in the first one, yeah, he had an eye catch. No, first or first episode, it was um, Joseph, and I believe second one uh, was Kakuin. Yeah, Joseph first with Hermit Purple, Kakuin with Hierophant Green, and yeah, this is the first time we've seen Star Platinums. Uh, and then the second one, as I mentioned, uh, is with Dark Blue Moon. And again, with all the grandstanding the captain does, he really doesn't have anything to back up with it other than the, the stupid whirlpool and the barnacles because Dark Blue Moon's destructive power is C, speed is C, range is C, durability is B, precision and accuracy is C, and development potential is D. D. Oh, that's <laughs> sad. <laughs> Well, speaking of the barnacles, that leads us into the second round um, with Dark Blue Moon going up against Star Platinum when he pulls Star Platinum and Jotaro into the water. And really the only thing that I wanted to note here is that they have a little conversation um, about how stands can communicate underwater. What's weird throughout this episode is that at first we see the captain speaking with his own mouth moving versus dark blue moon's mouth. But then on, uh, in, in response to that, you have star platinum mouthing for Jotaro. It's just fucking weird seeing star platinum's mouth move. Like he never talks. He never says anything. He says aura, but like, does he really talk? No. So the fact mm. that his mouth is moving kind of weirds me out. But then we see later in the episode that Jotaro starts speaking for himself instead of star platinum mouthing the words for Jotaro. But then it's like, why didn't Dark Blue Moon mouth the words for the captain? Dark Blue Moon has a mouth. I'm just so confused at like what's <laughs> happening here. And and do we see this again? Does Star Platinum ever mouth words for Jotaro after this? I can't recall. And that's why we're going through part three right now. <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, we see Jotaro talking in the end, kind of just for dramatic effect because... With the captain speaking using his own mouth, it's it's establishing his dominance in the fight. And then Star Platinum comes in with the star finger, and now Jotaro is the victor. So it's his his time to gloat underwater, even though if you're talking underwater, like all the water will just flow into your mouth and fill your lungs. Jojo logic. <laughs> Which is also weird because the captain says that he has the lung capacity of three times a regular person, but he's still talking underwater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then we find out that the Joe, the Joe bros can't jump into the water because it's filled with razor sharp scales whipping around in the whirlpool. Uh, Polnareff freaks out uh, and as do the other Joe bros because Jotaro pops up for a second and they say that he was limp. But here, Joseph is calm because he can tell what his grandson is planning to do. It almost insinuates it's a good sign that Jotaro wasn't struggling and that he was limp. He, he can almost read you know, Jotaro's mind and, and see what he's going to do next, which is conserving all of his power so he can force it all into Starfinger and one-hit KO this supposed strong enemy stand user. Amazing. Just amazing. And this is the first we've seen Starfinger, right? 
I think so. It will come back again, but not very often. Yeah. <laughs> as as heinous as this cop-out is for Jotaro, it's just, well, like the last thing I would have expected is for Star Platinum to yell star finger. And jab the shit out <laughs> of the enemy stand with its fingers. Yeah, it's just such a funny move. Star finger is like, star finger is not a cool move it's not an elegant move it's literally just elongating your two fingers and stabbing the shit out of somebody with them like there's nothing cool about it but i guess it's effective in this fight and then jotaro has that quip after he knocks the shit out of the enemy stand user which i wasn't expecting the first time i watched this he says something along the lines of if you piss yourself underwater when you lost then we then i'd be in a really gross situation or something along the lines of like if was it, uh, if you pissed yourself when you lost, it'd be gross since we're in the water. Yeah, because he, I think he was, <laughs> the captain was trying to figure out what Jotaro was thinking. And he's like, bro, the only thing I was thinking is I don't want to be swimming through your piss right now. <laughs> and like, again, what's <laughs> with this episode? That's the juvenile humor in Yeah, Jotaro's I was like, head. what is with this episode? Why would Jotaro ever say that? But I'm glad he did because it's really out of left field and really, really funny. Because again, Jotaro had the high ground. <laughs> the whole time Star Wars reference there. And if you think about it, I, we, I know we talked about this prior to the episode. I'm pretty sure this is Jotaro's first kill in part three. See, I didn't think it was a kill. I just thought he incapacitated the enemy stand user. But you read otherwise. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Well, you can also just see the captain's body float towards the bottom of the sea. And well, again, I thought he like incapacitated him and that his stand disappeared because he was going unconscious. Um, I don't know. I guess you could interpret it either way. Uh, according to the JoJo fandom wiki, uh, Tenel is left to die in the sea, which I think that's probably like his death is why the bombs had triggered on the boat in the first place. Okay, that's interesting because a lot of the JoJo fandom says that like nobody really kills people until part five. Yes, Kira dies. Yes, Dio dies. But like consistent deaths don't happen until part five because they're fucking gang stars and they don't give a shit that they're going to kill people left and right. Maybe you could interpret this as an indirect death because Jotaro... Now I'm thinking of, of, of like a Batman Begins reference where it's like, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably what was happening here. He probably just was like, I'm going to jab the shit out of your face with my finger. And what happens to you afterwards is not, not my problem. My, not my I missed the part problem. where that's my problem. <laughs> Batman and Spider-Man references. So the boat blows up. We get that second eye catch. And then everyone is sitting quietly on the life rafts or lifeboats. And, of course, it's Joseph that's taking care of Anne because he's a father with a daughter. And he even says that to her. Again, he shares that they're on a journey to save his daughter, Holly, which is very similar to Anne wanting to see her father in Singapore. She kind of looks away in shame because, again, I don't think it's true. I think she lied about that. But... She then spots the giant ship coming at them. And I imagine people with megalophobia are freaking out just as much as I was in the beginning with my thalassophobia. All the phobias are coming out in this episode. And little do they know that on that ship is a fucking uh, pedophile monkey. 
Yes, yeah. the next episode <laughs> is the pedophile monkey episode. Is there a chimpanzee phobia? Isn't it an orangutan? Uh, it says pithicophobia, the fear of apes. Okay, that, that applies. <laughs> so I guess whoever has that fear probably has a really hard time watching the pedophile monkey. <laughs> and that brings us to our final thoughts <laughs> on that note for part three, episode six, Dark Blue Moon. So did this episode sink or swim for you? I mean, enemy stand user wise, this is mid. Like Dark Blue Moon, Captain Crunch, all of that is mid. Um, the threat that they pose, that's mid. But the other shit that's going on around this episode is what saves this episode and makes it one that I do enjoy watching at the end of the day. This will not go down in history as one of the greatest JoJo episodes, that's for sure. But I still just love the small interactions and seeing them become more like true Joe bros, seeing them kind of have their quips back and forth to each other, back and forth to the enemy stand user. I think Anne is really funny in this episode. I mean, she's not intentionally trying to be funny, but it's funny when she's trying to stick up for herself and like calling her knife the demon blade and all this stuff. You're just like sitting there thinking, what the fuck is going on in this episode? Why is everything just really goofy? And I love it. I love it so much. So it's not one of my favorites, but I really do appreciate this episode for everything outside of Dark Blue Moon. What about you? Yeah, I would say this episode neither sinks or swims. It just floats. <laughs> it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a pretty okay episode. I'll be honest, I'm not really fond of this. Like, I think it's two episodes where they're just like, it's just them out on the sea. Uh like Anne is an interesting character, although again, I that kind of just leads to nowhere as we as she kind of separates from the group in the later episodes. Uh, and then you have this captain, who at first you think is the a formidable enemy stand of the week, but I would say he's just largely forgettable because again, it's just a lot of gloating on his on his part, and then he was just eliminated from contention pretty quickly. But, you know, after we talked about a lot of the smaller, goofier moments, like you said, I think those were the saving grace of this episode. Uh, and I think it just only establishes that things are just going to get real, like, real wackier from here on out. I mean, they've always been wacky. I don't know what I'm saying. We're going to have highs and lows with these enemy stand users. Sometimes these episodes are going to be great. Sometimes they're going to be mid i think that none of them are gonna suck necessarily but i don't think you can create however many tarot cards there are that many enemy stand users to keep the enemy stand user of the week formula super engaging every single time there mm -hmm. are gonna be some stand users that just don't stick out or, or are less memorable than the majority of them but one that will always be memorable, whether you like it or not, is that fucking orangutan that we have to watch for next week. Mm -hmm. I don't hate the episode. It's just so weird. I mean, it's fucking creepy. That orangutan is creepy as fuck. But there are some really funny parts in the next episode, so I am looking forward to that. I just remember the episode making me feel uncomfortable. I think it made everybody feel <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, so uh, when we revisit that, I'll see how I feel again. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed this review and hope you've enjoyed 50 episodes of Strictly JoJo. Whether you're joining us towards the, uh, you know, these these more recent episodes or if you've been listening since episode one 
or even episode zero, that really cringe introduction that we did in the beginning of this podcast. Um, we appreciate you, and here's to 50 more episodes, and we'll we'll see where we're at in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure when we hit episode 100. Yes, so thank you for continuing to stand proud with us and for <laughs> walking like Egyptians with us. We sincerely appreciate it. Subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you enjoy Strictly JoJo and you want to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash Series. And be sure to tune in to Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown. <laughs>